everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 146 of the podcast that takes you on a journey through the fun-filled land of Marvel superheroes. We started way back at the beginning with the Fantastic Four number one in 1961. And today we're diving into the second month of 1967. It's February, kids. Uh, love is in the air with uh, Valentine's Day coming up next episode. But this uh, this episode is Groundhog's Day. Hey, it all comes together. So we got Sergeant Fury 41, Thor 139, Tales of Suspense 89, Strange Tales 156, and If Hitler Sees His Shadow It's Six More Weeks of Winter. And speaking of love, our first story is very full of it. Yeah. Kind of, sort of, in a way. Definitely. Sergeant Fury kicks us off. Um, um, I don't know what day we're on. We're on February 2nd. I pull it up. I forgot. February 2nd. Yeah, you literally just said that. Okay, Sergeant Fury and his handling commandos because you demanded it. Dino Manelli fights again. I, Spoilers, I guess. I do believe that they demanded it. I also believe they fully intended to bring him back after a certain amount of time because they teased him every single issue. I also think based on the story, they shouldn't have said that on the cover, but whatever. <laughs> The Howlers versus the Blitzers, they're back. The infamous iron-fisted Colonel Klau and the block-busting Blitz Squad. Were they really block-busting? I don't know. Anyway. I have things to say about them in this issue. I'll just say that. Yes, yes, yes. The Blitzkrieg in Britain. Bulletin, bullpen bulletin to battle mag buffs. Wow. You never know where our Cavorton combat sagas are going to start these days. Nick Fury and the Howlers are making a pre-dawn raid on some Nazi sub-pens. I guess that means, by the way, uh, submarines. But anyway. And that's just for openers. In other words, stick around, Shellshocked One. The best is yet to come. Stan Lee proudly presents a Roy Thomas Dick Ayers movie-length masterwork. Inking John Tartaglioni. Lettering Sam Rosen. Technical advisor... PFC Irving Forbush retired. So yeah, the the Howlers are trying to blow up a submarine while Nazis try and shoot them. They blow up the submarine and then they jump on board an airplane piloted by their new friend. Uh, boy, why do I forget his name all of a sudden? Uh, Eric Koenig? Eric, yes. Eric Koenig, because he's the resident flyer of the group now. Um, so it's like basically we start this... On an ending mission, really, which is kind of interesting. So then it goes to them coming home, and Dino's there with his cane and dressed in his, you know, best. And he's like, yeah, guys, I'm here to shoot a war film, and we want you all in it. And they all, of course, protest. They would much rather fight Nazis and risk death than be in a movie. And Sam's like, yeah, well, it's voluntary, but you have to do it. Uh and then we meet Dino's new love interest, and her name is Nina Bergson, blonde, pretty uh, actress. And she's like, yeah, if you guys would help us out, that'd be really great. So now they're a little more inclined to do that. Um, we then cut to Dino and – what's her name? I already said it. Nina? Mm-hmm. We then cut to Dino and Nina at dinner, and Dino's like – he had just got through telling the Howlers that – He's hoping to get back on active duty, but now he's kind of confessing to her in the intimacy of a romantic dinner that maybe he doesn't want to go back to fighting Germans. Maybe he's found what he's really after, a true love here, and uh, would she marry him? And she says yes, and then he's like, gosh, how am I going to tell the Howlers that I don't want to be a Howler anymore? And so we cut to the Howlers filming the movie. All they have to do is the action stuff, so they ended up 
feeling okay about that. They didn't have to do any crummy cheese ball lines or anything. Um, but before Dino can tell them that he is not going to be a howler, Happy Sam Sawyer pulls Nick aside and forces a, a medal on him or announces that he's going to force a medal on him. And then, of course, Nick is like, no, I don't do medals or whatever. But all the howlers are like, yes, you will. Come on, Sarge, you deserve it. He's like, ah, oh, okay, fine, whatever. So Dino didn't really feel like that was a great time to like, you know, say I quit. Anyway, we cut to later, all alone in her room, Nina crying, but pulling out what looks like some sort of technical communication device. And she's thinking to herself that she's actually a spy and a traitor. And this whole movie is designed to like bring important people together to watch it, like the prime minister, for instance. And she's crying because she does love Dino now. Didn't really expect that. But at the same time, she's got to do her duty and, you know, kill everybody. So we cut to Germany where the person she's communicating with tells Adolf Hitler, who is still a cartoon. Um, Adolf Hitler assigns Klau and all his dudes, his uh, the the negative howlers to uh, oh it wasn't going to be a bomb. They're going to go. They're going to do a secret attack on this movie film thing or whatever. The, the release of the movie. Anyway, Dino is like he goes back to her. It's really kind of complicated, and he's like, you know what? Never mind. I actually do want to be a howler. I do want to marry you, but I have to be a howler because I'm a man. Dang it! And us men's got to fight Germans. She's like, no, 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 you need to come with me. I have to leave today, right now, actually. She's like, why do you got to leave right now? No, because I do, trust me, and you have to come with me. And he's like, no, no, babe, I got to I gotta uh, go back. And she's like, no, he's going to die now if he doesn't come with me, but I can't get him to come with me. So they're all standing around, and she's kind of sweating and freaking out because any minute now there's going to be shooting, and all these people standing around unawares are going to die. And finally she freaks out, and she pushes, I think it's Nick Fury at least, and Dino out of the way. And she gets hit, and in comes the, uh, uh, you know, the Blitz Squad. Nice, cool splash page. And they all um, actually, for the first time ever, I think, maybe, uh, uh, pair off with their actual counterparts. Mm -hmm. And each one has kind of a cool fight. And then um, 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 ultimately the Howlers, of course, beat all their counterparts. And Dino is there for her on her like, you know, her last dying words that she does truly love him and she's sorry that that happened and she just couldn't let him die. That really makes him mad. So he goes after his counterpart, beats the heck out of him. And then Nick Fury takes on Claw and beats the heck out of him. And then Dino's like, can I come back on the squad? And Nick is like, yeah, because, you know, we have to keep fighting Germans for Nina, for Pam and for Junior Jupiter. They're like, yeah, all the three people that have died in this series so far. And then the last panel is Dino at her gravesite crying with a rose. So sad. The end. If the Blitzkrieg squad had debuted like this, yeah, right. I think we would have felt better about them. So is this their this their third appearance, right? Pretty much. At least Not counting third, the one yeah. guy. The one guy had his own offshoot appearance where he actually thinks about that. In <laughs> he his reminds book. us, haha, I got an extra appearance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, you're right. It's like, I am amazed it took this long to finally do them right, but they did. I mean, honestly, it whenever they cool. came through that one time, I was expecting to ever see them again, you know? And, mm -hmm. you know, they were linked with Strucker, and Hitler mm -hmm. reminds us of that in this. You can't mess up like Strucker did, which I, I find really interesting that they remind us of Strucker in this particular week of releases because of stuff we're going to talk about later in the episode. Um, mm -hmm. But now they have Klawa in charge of them, and... um 
you know, he who's, he's who's not quite as cool, but he's okay. He's okay. He yeah. has his iron fist to coin a phrase. He has his iron fist. I don't know why I thought Strucker seemed more interesting, but maybe this guy just needs a chance. Um, Strucker didn't have like a superhero comics gimmick. Um, he did, but does. he was he was like the he was the German version of Nick Fury, except he cheated. And then at one point, he had that story arc where he didn't want to just mass murder innocent people, right, for no reason. He was he, so he that was, was kind of interesting. He was kind of Fury's opposite number because he was nobility, mm-hmm. um, but also dishonest. But yeah, so he was like an evil mirror of Nick Fury, and it worked really right. well. I thought instead of the eye patch, he had eye glass. Ah, <laughs> yes, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> no goatee, though. No goatee. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this. It was cool. I, I Again, I really wish they hadn't have said anything on the cover because honestly, like, my brain, as soon as he said, I don't want to be a howler anymore, went to, okay, this girl's going to either die or be a spy. Yes. Like, instantly, that's what I thought. So it kind of, it kind of like trumped their reveal, but oh well. Well, when he shows up last episode, or last issue, he says, you know, don't worry about my cane. As soon as I get to making this movie, I'm going to be done with the cane, and we can go, I can be part of the Howlers again. And mm-hmm. this issue is written as if you had missed last issue, because a lot of that mm-hmm. is restated for the first time. Like, Nick Fury's like, mm-hmm. heard the scuttlebutt was, you were making a movie, and I'm like, scuttlebutt being the mm-hmm. conversation you had last issue, <laughs> where he said he was going to make a movie? Right. Hey, Mike, right. I I hear you're recording a Marvel podcast tonight. Can I, can I right. get on that with you? <laughs> you heard right. Um, there's one funny part because it reminded me of a joke that Lily makes. So page four, you mean we just mm-hmm. got to go through the motions? We don't have to try and memorize a bunch of nutty lines? Of course right. not, Sarge. We all know you can't read later on. And <laughs> Lily's like, all the time, that sign doesn't apply to me because I can't read. <laughs> I think they've used that on Nick before. Right, right. Yeah. What I like about this is like it was out of formula, which was kind of nice. Like there was no assigned mission, go on the mission, accomplish the mission, try and figure out how to escape the mission, get home. They snuck that in on the first page or two to show that, you know, this was still that comic. But yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's just get that out of the way. And now let's just have a lot. There was a lot more talking heads and character beats. And I thought that was cool. Um, They make a joke about him becoming an officer. And Fury's like, bite your tongue. Uh-huh. Um, they make a joke about him growing gray in the temples and his head turning into a rectangle instead of a square, but not really. Because mm-hmm. um, that also all happens over in Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It'd be funny if they drop some jokes about him, the fact that he definitely is going to lose his eyesight someday. <laughs> but they never do. And going back to the uh, going back to the Blitzkrieg squad, maybe I'm misremembering, but not only is this the first time they paired off, but isn't this the first time we get all of their individual names? I thought that was a great page. What is that? Eight? Yeah. My my copy has blurry page numbers, but yeah, there's this page they, where like they were parallels to the Howlers. We didn't get like their names uh-huh. last time, except for Siegfried, maybe one other. Yeah, there's like this like one panel that has their little tiny heads, and each head has an explanation of their names and why they're a counterpart to somebody. It was mm-hmm. awesome. It's a nice it was little recap. Mm-hmm. And then all those people fight the right people, and. Uh, for the most part, use those you know quote unquote abilities that they're that they're known for to pair off with these people. So it was cool. It worked out. Yeah, yeah. They just this is the way you're supposed to do this kind of a thing. You get everybody's some evil of, twin. You make them fight their evil twin. Yeah, I think like some of it is kind of weak. Like the strong guy versus strong guy. That makes great sense. Mm-hmm. But Otto is a musician who plays the submachine gun. That's a little weak. Like yeah, he should play. 
a flute or something. He can blow a flute so loud that it deafens people. Whatever. I don't know. Just like, what's his face? Um, yeah. So they're not all perfect. But then, you know, Umbrella versus Umbrella, that was kind of cool. We got a splash page, which is very unusual for this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. It was nice. Uh, I mentioned last issue, our last episode, but this issue has been moved back into the first week of releases. So this is once again starting a month with our 1940s story. Instead of starting the second week of the month with our 1940s story. Well, it's even more first then. It is very first. Which is where it was before. It got moved around for some reason. Now it's back. Yeah. Good. It's better over here. But yeah, I don't don't think I have anything else on this. This was was a solid Sergeant Fury. It's not going to probably fight for the first place for the month, but this is the Sergeant Fury I like to read. Yeah, it gives our character something about him. A story. Drama. It was nice to have their little mentions of Pam and... uh, Junior also, when they're talking about death and people they've lost. Mm-hmm. Just so we don't forget. It's nice to remember that Nick still remembers who Pam is. The one other thing I'll say is that I'm glad there was more to, what was her name, Nina? Uh-huh. Than just being the girl that Dino loves who dies at the end. Because you see that yeah. coming on page five. On well, page five, I, like. I knew she was going to die. But right. then it turns out like- she's a spy and they do more with her than just that. So that's what I was thinking. Like, she's either going to die or she's going to be a spy. And then it's like, oh, no, she's both. That's cool. <laughs> she's evil and she loves him and she gives her life for him and she's a hero. Yeah. yeah. And he gets to be a howler. <gasps> Here's about a final note. Eric is not in this issue, except they keep talking about him. Oh. It's like they forgot he exists. He's they mentioned that he's flying in the first scene, isn't he? Well, or did they just talk about how he was flying? Well, okay. They mention that he's flying, but you don't actually see him. So that could be anybody in there. Interesting. And then later later during this fight, one of them, and I don't know what page, I'll never find it, but there's some offhanded comment like, Eric must have went down this one way to deal with Nazis over there. But you don't see it. So it's like at some point, <laughs> Roy Thomas is like, oh, shoot, we forgot an entire howler this whole time. Let's uh, just throw his name around here and there. Oh, he is standing in the end. Okay, on the last page, I believe that's him in the blue sweater. Okay, but it doesn't have a line. But he, yeah, and I was just thinking he should be here because he's Dino's replacement. So now Dino's back. Does he at all feel like, whoops, I got to go? Maybe that's next issue. I don't know. Oh, well, they did make a comment at the beginning confirming that Eric wouldn't have to leave. Like, well, have you been more howlers now? Because that definitely is a natural yeah, question. That's true. Since Koenig was, yeah. the, was Manelli's replacement, now that Manelli's yeah. back, is Koenig going to have to leave? Well, he should at least be insecure because that's how I'd be. So let's have that drama. Come on. Let's think about it a little bit. And then they kiss. They like they like Dino better. Maybe he'll have those thoughts next issue. Maybe he'll have to die like a god. Oh. That's a segue, Let's get folks. into this. Let's get into this. Okay. Thor 139. Um, mm-hmm. On the cover, we see uh, Oracle basically looking like a celestial because it's a Jack Kirby giant design and – that's what it looks like. It looks like a celestial um, reaching out over Thor and Sif. There's fire. There's destruction. It's called to die like a god. Um, our splash page has Thor and Sif walking down a subway train, just the train tracks. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're um, a bunch of eight-year-olds looking for a dead body in the woods. I don't know. The hammer of yeah. Thor has been seen, has been captured by the now departed trolls. Less than 60 seconds remain before the God of Thunder will be transformed back to the mortal Don Blake. Unless 
Uh-oh. I was trying to figure out which, which unless joke to make. I was going to make a Star Trek unless joke or the Lorax <laughs> unless joke, and then time just went by and I can't make either one of them now. I think I think you just created drama. <laughs> so 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 Sif's like, don't worry, I'll be here. And Thor's like, yeah, but um, Asgard's besieged and I have no hammer. I'm about to turn into a normal Joe and that's bad. Whatever else you do, we ask you to promise that you'll read the stirring saga slowly. By the golden gates of Asgard. It's just too good to finish quickly. So listen to the podcast slowly, kids. A peerless pictorial pageant painstakingly produced with perfectly pardonable pride. I love when, Got he, that. when he does the alliteration out the wazoo. It just makes me happy. Uh-huh. By Stanley and Jack Kirby, inked with the prowess of Vince Coletta and lettered with the pen points of Sam Rose. And he's not even done yet. Still going on. Still going. Stanley has died. He's still making P words in every sentence. Perpetually. Perpetually P words. As a poltergeist, even. Okay, so, um, yeah, they're on this train track, and oh, look, there's a train coming. And Thor's uh-huh. like, get out of the way of the train. It's almost 60 seconds, and I'm going to die. And um, yeah, he actually wants to do this because he thinks it's his only hope. If he dies... As mortal oh, yeah. Blake, maybe he'll become Thor in Valhalla. And then he can oh. go and be a god and do god stuff. And Sif's like, that's a dumb idea, Thor. I can teleport. <laughs> yeah. So Sif's like, I have a superpower. I can teleport. And she turns herself and Thor into gray um, clay ghosts. And they transport to, um, I was going to say to Asgard. But I think it's to the land of the trolls, wherever they live. Mm-hmm. Trollheim. Um, yeah. And... Let's see, they hear the hammering, because that's what trolls do, and there's a death machine. Oh, the tanks rolling on their way to Asgard. Odin's going to fight. The Odin is fighting a bunch of uh, troll armies with all of his Asgardians. He wishes he had his son, but his heart is sorely troubled, because the Thunder God doth not appear, even though the might of Thor could save the day. So Odin girds his battle armor and gets, goes forth into the fray. And at first, the trolls are like, holy crap, it's Odin. But then they're like, we've got these awesome weapons that Oracle gave us from another universe. And um, so they start shooting, and Odin's like, oh my gosh, those are actually pretty great. They destroyed my scepter of power. But I still have the Odin Force. Onward, Asgardians. Meanwhile, Thor and Sif are still wandering through the caves of the th- trolls, and they find Ulick, and he's doing a double-fisted monkey-style hammer play. He's got both Thor's enchanted Uru hammer and his own recreation, recreation-like copy of the uh, Uru hammer. Thor holds out his hand, movie Thor style, and the hammer just flies to him. But Ulick's like, "I've got another one. We're equal in might." And Thor's like, okay, I, I'm remembering this thing about this guy who like copied a lot of cats and a lot of typewriters. And I think he made a, he made a copy of me and made a copy of my hammer too. It's just reminding me of that whole thing, but I can't <laughs> think about that right now. There's a troll in front of me, and you got to lick the troll. So he does. They find he licks the troll. Um, Sif also helps. Um, there's this one cool panel where they're like both raising their weapons. And uh, together fighting their bad guys. Um, what else happens? They fight until the wall collapses near them and they find Oracle, who's been held captive in the fiery pits beneath, beneath Trollheim. And um, let's see. 
there's this magical flame surrounding him, and as long as it's there, he's slave to the King of Trolls, Garador. Um, what else? Ulick finds him again. They keep fighting. Thor finally throws his hammer at Ulick's face and knocks him down. I think he finds the switch for the water spout, and it totally puts out the fire. And so Oracle is free, and he goes up to the trolls and says, Hey, Oracle's gone. I beat Ulick. I've got my hammer. Girader, give it up. And Girader's like, no, we could still. And Thor's like, no, you can't. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I have my hammer. Asgard's cool. Odin's the king. And you're a troll. He's like, fine, I'm a troll. So um, Thor goes back to the big scene of the battle where the trolls are in the process of giving up. And um, Odin's like, but where's my son? We just had this entire battle and my son wasn't here. And Thor's like, yo, dad. And dad's like, yo, son. And they're all proud of each other and they hug and it's a happy ending. Next issue, a new enemy on Earth. You know, except for like, wow, there is someone outside right now doing like 200 donuts. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Cool guy. Cool. I remember my first beer. Anyway, uh, (laughs) except for a couple like undramatic moments, I really enjoyed the story arc quite a bit, I think. Yeah. This was fun. Should we call it the Troll Wars? The Troll Wars was pretty cool. Yeah. Troll Wars was pretty awesome. Like this could be a movie. Um, I feel like the the um, setting free of Oracle wasn't conveyed in the art as well as I would have wanted it to be. But other than that, I thought this is an excellent chapter wrapping up that whole thing. Yeah, that was probably the, my least favorite part was like he just defeats Ulick by bonking him on the head and then like kind of releasing the thing and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's over. But But it was still ramped up drama up to that point. So I don't know. I liked it. Um, um, what thoughts did I write down on this story? I wrote down well, this, uh, this idea that he thinks maybe possibly there's a chance that if he dies, he'll go to Valhalla and be Thor again and help his dad as a ghost Thor was really interesting to me. Yeah. It reminds me of whenever the executioner does die and go to Valhalla, but yet is still involved in stories later as like his post death self. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, l- there is legitimately a Valhalla. He knows this. Mm-hmm. He's seen it. He's probably been there. So this could work, but it also could definitely not work. Because there's a reason that you don't have a bunch of dead Asgardian gods or, or dead gods mm-hmm. walking around Asgard. They don't live right. there anymore. They have to stay somewhere else right. for whatever reason, whatever rules or laws. That was another part of this that was like kind of a – see, here I am nitpicking a story I just said I loved. But another part that was kind of like – less dramatic than it could have been. It's like he's stuck on Earth, but then Sif's just kind of like, well, I'm a god is born. I can take us anywhere just like you can. Which in one hand is cool because she can do that. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, can any god or goddess transport wherever they want? Um, or was that a Thor-specific thing for a while? Having read a good chunk of Thor, it feels like a Sif power. Sif, Sif has this ability that she uses that is not often transport. played up with others. So he's like the god of thunder, and she's the god of teleportation? Right. He can fly with his hammer, but he has to fly from point A to point B, whereas she can teleport. Okay. And they haven't done that, or maybe they never have done that MCU, like you just call out Hemdall and he he sends a taxi? No, because they always, like, actually fly up to the bridge and walk it. Like, they don't... 
They do. They don't seem to do the whole connecting Asgard to the world with an actual beam. Mm-hmm. At least not yet, if they ever do. Okay. So that's her power. I never knew she had that power, so that's kind of interesting. Um, we also get the rules spelled out again in case anyone's not paying attention that his changing to Don Blake thing only happens if he's on Earth. So if he mm-hmm. can get off Earth and go be an Asgardian or go be a space god, then he doesn't have to worry about turning back into Don. It's not going to happen. So the question to me there is, if we assume at this point in our reading that Don is a human being who existed as a human being and had a life before he found a stick, does Thor ever concern himself with not giving Don his life back? <laughs> That's ever? a good question. I do know how the origin story finally explains Don. Uh-huh. So that's not well, too much yeah, to I worry know ultimately about. he's he's not really a thing. He was Thor the entire time, right? Yeah. So from but even from his perspective, I don't think I don't think he thinks of Don as somebody separate. I think he yeah. thinks of himself as turning into Don Blake. And so whatever life that he was living, is he ever going to get back to it? Or is he just not? I don't think he thinks of them we've as always, like owing Don Blake an existence. But we've always struggled with that on this show. Like how much is it Thor and Don Blake a separate thing? And how much are they just the same person? Right. And initially in the in the earlier comics, there were definitely moments where it was like, I'm going to turn back to Don so that I know things about medicine. Mm. Or I'm going to I'm gonna turn to Thor so I know things about God stuff. And if you look at it as an, from the point of the origin, it's like he was – based on what we know at this point. I know later they change all that. But like at this point, he was a dude who was born on Earth. He was a baby. He grew up. He became a doctor. He got lame somewhere or was born lame. And then he had the power of Thor mm-hmm. when he touched that hammer. He wasn't Thor per se. And then somewhere along the way, he starts talking like Thor, mostly when Avengers started, I think. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, he's basically just been Thor, and we kind of forget about Don. But like, if you think about it, and maybe nobody thought about it, or maybe they are writing letters, and I'm just not reading the letters pages, but is anybody going like, poor Don? Did he just get absorbed by this god who took him over? Or what? I you can know? see, I can see like, that. I guess I, I never even saw them as being that separate. Like, so Don, like you said, Don's living his life. He gets the power of Thor, and now he can just be Thor. It's not that Thor owes Don, it's that Don is turning into Thor. And yeah, he can choose to turn back into Don and go back and live that life. But it's like, if you move to another city, you don't necessarily have to go back to your previous city unless you have obligations there that you want to meet. Right. But if you, John Wilson, found a stick and hit the hammer and it gave you the power of Thor, but then all of a sudden now you're like this reincarnation of Thor and you're thinking Thor thoughts and you have all of Thor's memories and life. I mean, is John gone? I think John's just wearing new clothes. <laughs> okay. So he remembers yeah, it's, all the, it's possible to read a different way. Yeah. He remembers all the Don Blake memories too at the same time, I guess. Yeah. Probably. Or at least enough of them to yeah. know that he can turn into Don and get more of the mental access if he needs to. I guess Don didn't have like a grandma that needed visiting or anything. Well, see, that's that's another question: is that like, are there obligations that that life has that he needs to go back to? And right now, mm. we know of nothing except for Jane Foster, and Jane's gone, so he has no desire it, to go take care of those patients. Because like future versions of Thor-like people, like Eric Masterson, right? Mm-hmm. Who was a guy? He is a guy. He has a son. He has an ex-wife. And he does just literally get the power of Thor, but he still thinks Eric Masterson thoughts about it, you know? So it's then he has Thor. to like decide to go and meet those obligations and be that person for a while because they're yeah. people depending on him. I guess Blake and has a, no one depending and, on him. 
Well, but he also doesn't have thought bubbles like about his life on Asgard because he wasn't on Asgard. He has thought bubbles of Eric Masterson and he just looks like Thor. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So so he's like, oh, gosh, these are the Avengers. These guys are cool. I used to read about them when I was a kid. He has those kind of thoughts. Whereas Thor in here is like, I remember the day Loki scared me when he turned to a snake or whatever. It's like, do you remember that? Okay. So you're Thor. Okay. So it's I just guess- muddled. I guess yeah, I they, they 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 probably did the Eric Masterson storytelling that way to distinguish it from this because they're probably drawing the line right. there deliberately uh-huh. that never yeah, gets drawn here Thor. with Don Blake and Thor because mm-hmm. the division that exists there with Eric Masterson just doesn't exist here. No, because we all know later this is retcon to be Thor the entire time. Mm-hmm. So there was never and there was never a Don Blake. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, no one cares about him now either, apparently. No. Nope. So. And his his his, uh, his landlord kicked him out of his office, as far as we can tell. Because last time we saw him, was like, we need the rent. And he's like, I need to fight despite, bad guys. <laughs> and despite find Jane all my Foster. questioning, Despite all my questioning, I don't really care about him being gone either. Because the book has been so much better without it him. It really, really is. I mean, we said it before whenever we kind of realized just how long he's been gone. The trial of the gods and his big old goodbye to his life. I didn't uh, realize at that time just how much it really was goodbye to that mode of storytelling for this right. book. Because it's yeah. a different book. Yeah. And I've always been told that it's really Walter Simonson who leaned into the Asgard stuff more than anybody. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're doing that quite considerably here as early as this. I think Simonson also does a good job of bringing in accurate interpretations of the myth. Okay. But they are – like full on Asgard mm-hmm. stories yeah. right now. Yeah, this is I think why the the Kirby Lee Thor is 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 lauded as much as it is because we are in the thick of it and it's it's going well. Um, yeah. I was let's see, there was a really really disturbing panel on page ten before we before we move on to the next story. Um, this book uh-huh. just has barbarian storytelling and maybe just just villainous storytelling in general. I'm realizing more and more, and maybe it's just because, you know, like, I don't know, thinking modes and perspectives and trying to understand different people, how casually there are euphemisms for sexual assault. Okay. Trolls are attacking Sif, the female. Gosh. While Ulick slays the son of Odin. Before you even say what uh she's ours. And she's like, you think you can conquer the goddess Sif so easily? And that's bad. That's that's references to bad, bad stuff. Okay. Well, I read this page and clapped considerably with glee. But oh, well, she's 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 fantastic on the page. It's just like yeah, you just write references to rape into your storyline, and it's oh, it's just weird. Well, maybe yeah. I'm reading more into it than I need to. You could be reading into it, but you could also be ac- dead on accurate because yeah, that is that wording. Because trolls are like. It's a woman, and she's ours. No one can stop us from taking her. But uh, at least the bad guys are being rapey, not good guys. I yeah. Don't know. I don't they, know. I mean, they are trolls. They are monstrous. But, but just- like, I think I Twittered this, and it, I actually do almost believe this. We've had instances here and there of females being awesome. You and I desperately, like with a thirst, look for any signs of like wasp or invisible woman or anybody Scarlet doing Witch. anything cool. Scarlet Witch. And try and say something about it. Right, because mm-hmm. it's so few and far between. But I legitimately think this might be the first badass female moment we've had on the show. Yeah, like pure, just like just the pure. Butts. There's trolls coming after her. She's like, 
oh, let me take this sword and kill all your friends with it. Like, she didn't even have a weapon. She took their weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then just totally blows them away. It was amazing. And it kind of sucks that at first she was damseled before we got to this moment. But yeah. And yeah. like, I think it's the equality. That fourth panel just makes them equal <sighs> warriors to white to each other. It does undermine it slightly in the fact that she says, my foes aren't as awesome as yours. Yeah, that's dudes right Which was not, a se- <laughs> was not a sentence that was needed. That sentence was not needed. But outside of that, the two of them just back-to-back killing all these trolls and stuff was just so cool. And this is after she saves him, by the way, from the train, too. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's batting a thousand in this issue. She really is. Sif is awesome. Now, don't – Now. Was that? Go ahead. I was going to say, we can't skip over page uh, whatever this is. I really can't see these page numbers tonight. Page eight. It's very important. Okay. Flipping back. Do you see any? Do you see anything wrong with page eight? Um, Ulick has two hammers. One of them is? Mjolnir. Which you can't lift unless you are? <gasps> strong enough. Is it strong enough? It's not worthy yet. It's not worthy. Or, but the thing is... Just like Cap Shield, whenever they talk about it being broken or burning up, and now now we have to sit there and figure out how this story happened. We know it ultimately will be worthy, so now we have to figure out how this story happened. Because uh, of all the people who would be worthy, you would think Ulick the troll is not the dude. Well, I thought that at first, but then I'm always like wondering what what defines worthy, what is worthy, uh-huh. and then who is defining it? Because if it's Odin, I bet Odin's idea of worthy is so much different than than my idea of worthy. Or Bill Gates' idea of worthy. Now there may be something about this whole Oracle business that we could rant, we could like for, fold into our Mono Prize because in uh-huh. the previous issue they used the Orb of Oracle, which is basically this little you know pencil pouch that they uh-huh. open up and it slurps in his hammer. Um, yeah, that's true. Oh, it's it, it even says it right here. The unknown sorcery of Oracle has overcome the Mallet's Uru magic. Once within oh, the good. gleaming orb, it shall be ours forever. So they actually did address that on the page. Good. Except he then uses the magic to take the hammer back. Um, yeah, I guess. Because <laughs> he does pull it to himself, right? <laughs> yeah. My other idea was that if Uruk is the strongest and awesomest orc or troll or whatever, then maybe that means he's worthy. Maybe that's all the hammer's looking for. Awesome, strong, powerful people who want glory through combat. Mm-hmm. But nah, that can't be right. You also have to be a good person. Maybe Thor says to the hammer, because he says it right here on page eight, to me, my faithful mallet, thou must do my bidding mm. once again. Maybe that's all it took. Oh, so he, he just had to tell the hammer. He reactivates the magic. Yeah, you're mine now, hammer. Remember? And hammer's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I've got a magic spell. Let's go with that, because yeah, Ulick being worthy is really dumb. Well, don't look now, but it seems like every subplot has wrapped. The Thor story comes to a full and complete close at the end of this issue, which maybe hasn't done in like two years of comics. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what I like about this arc is it did, while it did start right off of uh, Jane Foster, it also did feel like kind of a new start, Mm -hmm. even though, even though it wasn't. Clear cut new. It was new-ish. So really, this was just like a two-parter good story. Right. And it wasn't 18, 18 parts that just go on and on and on. So that was neat. Shall we go to the secret of the Mystic Mountain? All right. S- if we must. Mark you well, this site. 
O true believer, for thine awesome, thine awestruck eyes do now behold the murderous, merciless Mogul, safe within his hidden kingdom as he doth partake of the pleasures he hath won by means of pillage, pillory, and plunder. Still those P words stand in lands beyond number. Oh, so professional. A Stanley and Jack Kirby rhapsodic Rabelaisian romp, inked by Vince Coletta, lettered by Art Simic. Okay, so we are in Xanadu, which we'll come back to that mystical place where Mogul lives and from which he can use his crystal um, mound to, to look out and see that Thor and his people are coming toward him. So he calls his enslaved genie devil to come forth and to go attack the Asgardians. So um, meanwhile, up on the surface... Hogan the Grim, Thor the Valiant, uh, False Fandral the the Dashing, and Volstag the Voluminous are all mm-hmm. trying to find this Mystic Tower and find the genie. And Hogan wants revenge for his people and all those other things, and they can't tell where it is. They they think that they're there. The the hammer or whatever it is they're using is their guide. Their Dragon Ball radar says that they're there, <laughs> but they don't see anything. And Thor's like, dude. Maybe we're on it. So he smashes the ground and all of the sand scatters away from the from the blast and they look down and they're standing on crystal. And through the crystal they can see it's like the top of a jar and inside the jar is the mystical underground city of Xanadu. Um, so Hogan's like, let's go down there. He smashes with his mace and um, the crystal doesn't respond, but then it just kind of opens up of its own accord, and the genie devil, the giant green genie, comes out. You have dared to cross the threshold of doom. Therefore, welcome to Xanadu, where the prince of the price of admittance is your paltry lives. And next, the battle begins. Kirby didn't even try and make anybody look like Olivia Newton-John. What was that? Kirby didn't even try and make anybody look like Olivia Newton-John. So, I don't know. <laughs> you I guess you've never seen Xanadu? No. Oh. Oh, so I was having trouble hearing you, but that's okay. Um, oh. I've never seen Xanadu. I know that there's music, and I know that it has like, a reputation, but I've never actually seen it. Uh, yeah. You're, you're missing so much. <laughs> he said sarcastically? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. The weird thing is, is that Xanadu was just the name of Kublai Khan's summer palace. But I guess mm. it had this like cultural um, idea of being this really, really nice place to go during the summer. That's like a really pleasant resort, and like the common mm. people probably idealized it, and then started telling stories about it, and then like it blew up into this huge mythical idea. Hmm, that's what I'm guessing. Well, it kind of the design's cool. It is a pretty cool idea. The jar in the ground kind of makes me think: Is this supposed to be a genie? Well, I guess it's not a lamp. But a genie does live in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little like I don't know. It's kind of off the 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 big giant splash on page four that kind of shows us the entire city in this giant jar. But then like there's earlier panels where it's like it looks like there's this genie that lives in three quarters of it or something. Avon calling. Yeah, but anyway, it's cool. But just like all these other stories, it's like just another part that kind of says the same thing as the last part yeah 
we have, you know, we get a little bit from Mogul's perspective. He's just chilling out, watching women dance. It's fun times. He's eating grapes. And he looks in his, not a crystal ball, but instead it's like a crystal, I don't know, thing. And he, you know, they're looking for the place. They can't find the place and the genie attacks them. So it does advance yeah. the plot. And it's not that it's not a, it's not that it's a bad story. I just don't really care about the story. And I wish maybe well, I didn't like care more, but I don't. Two issues ago, they had confronted this guy and the genie was there. Mm-hmm. And then he, he uses the genie to escape. But now they're confronting this guy and the genie is there. So it's like we're just right back to where we were. Well, then we were in the random spot and now we're in Mogul's home turf. <laughs> right. So that matters. I guess that deal. matters. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I love Volstag. Volstag gonna Volstag. What did he say? He's uh, like, um, let's see. See, Mighty Thor was right. An opening appears leading down to the land of Xanadu. Valorous Volstag shall be first to go below and sow the seeds of fear among the lesser beings. Then he hears a noise, like the roar of a hundred dragons. Uh, Volstag will prove his generosity. I shall let my fellows gain the glory whilst I remain above, lest it be thought that Volstag be the only hero amongst us. It's just like, <laughs> he's such a coward. Yeah. Yes. I never really knew that about him. But it has been very humorous. It, it's fun. He is the comic relief. And Hogan is very um, flippant with Thor in this story because he's just very desperate to get revenge on for his people. Yeah, he's usually so deferent and just like quiet and just doing whatever Thor wants him to do and never really voicing an opinion mm-hmm. about anything except mm-hmm. for supporting Thor. And here he's like, Argh! He tells him, have done with thee. That's pretty insulting in Asgard mm-hmm. from what I understand. Yeah. Dang. Um, shall we see what right. our tales, what our Asgardian advisor has to say about this? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Before we move on, of course. Um, Tell us how inaccurate everything is. Gene Hendricks, friend of the show, a personal friend of mine, and um, Asgardian, uh, worshiper of the, of the Norse gods, has been writing in for every single one of these tales of Asgard. And after tonight, he only has six more to write about. Actually, that's not it's true. Like, he's, so he's finished his notes. All of his notes that I, are that he's he's already written them all. I'm just oh, through. we only have awesome. six more. But he says, "Yeah, we're really mixing the cultures here." There's a definite Middle Eastern vibe in Mogul's throne room, and Hogan describes the Yule Tree ornament of doom as Xanadu. Oh, instead of a jar, they're look they're they're calling it a tree ornament or, or Gina's. Ah, uh. um, I can see that. He also says. Yeah, I said Yule Tree because they're nothing Christian about having a decorated evergreen tree at Yuletide. Um, he calls it Xandu, which is one of the names of the summer capital of the Yuan Dynasty of China that ruled the Mongol Empire. So we're back to the Mughals, not Olivia Newton John. <laughs> Someone should have given Stan and Jack and Alice. Um, and the only thing about all that, because I had the exact same thoughts and questions as we were getting into the story, is that the Mongol Empire was vast. Mm. And so it did reach from the northern parts of China to the southwestern bits of Asia. Um, you did have Mongol influence on the Arabian lands. So while it seems unusual because of the vast land masses involved, I think it might actually make some historical sense. Okay. But um, but yeah, he did say a whole lot of direct relation to the story involved, just that it seems odd that it's all the different cultures mixed yeah, together. Yeah, well, it's 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 pretty far gone from, from all that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, before we melt, why don't you move us along? Tales of Suspense featuring Iron Man and Captain America, number 89, The Monstrous Menace of 
the new mysterious melter. Why is he new? He's not new. Anyway, spoilers. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering about uh, that because I thought it was going to be a new guy. That's what I thought too, but I think they just mean a new gun or something. But anyway, last-ish, we saw Tony Stark's multi-million dollar factory totally destroyed in his battle with the now-defeated Mole Man. Is that what happened? Okay, thank you for that caption. But when you're as rich as Tycoon Tony, <laughs> that's a new one. It's no sweat. All you do is build yourself another one. A Stanley Gene Colan creative collaboration inked by Frank Giacoya, lettered by Artie Samek. So, yeah, he's like telling all the workers thanks and there's big bonuses in it for him. And the workers are all like, yeah, we love you, Tony. By the way, Senator Boyd is here. And the senator shows up and he's like, hey, remember that subplot where I was trying to get you to testify in court who Iron Man really is and take over Iron Man for the army? Tony's like, yeah, well, that plot's going nowhere. So I'm out of here. Okay, And then. Happy Hogan and uh, what's-her-face, Pepper Potts show up, and they're like, hey, remember when we used to be subplots? Yes. Well, we're back. All right, cool. Remember when before they can really hat? get into before? Yeah, now I'm blonde, and Happy is uh, completely not a boxer with beat-up cauliflower ears anymore. Um, but before they can really get into anything, like the fact that Happy knows Tony's secret and hasn't brought it up to him yet, a... A, a a construction mishap is about to happen where a bunch of junk is going to fall on Happy. So Tony heroically leaps and tries to push Happy out of the way, but actually just doesn't quite make it. And they both end up kind of buried, but not as buried as they would have been if Tony hadn't done something. So they both survive. Pepper freaks out and tries to unbury Happy, and he's not speaking. And she's like, oh, my God, he's dead. And they finally get him on. Barry and he's like no I'm fine and she's like oh thank goodness and she hugs him so tight like she might have lost him and it's at this point Tony goes oh I've lost her she's totally into happy now because she didn't even bat an eye at the fact that I also was buried alive for five seconds there so that's a good thing because I have a bad heart and I can't get married anyway because I'm about to die I'm just gonna go back to my old ways so he starts dating a woman a day like for 30 days he's got 30 women on rotation or something like that and there's this whole montage of partying and excellence and stuff like that um and then we cut to the drama and the drama is the melter who's in prison has tricked this guy who works at the at the uh at the machine shop to continually smuggle parts for him. And he's finally smuggled like the last part he needs to make this makeshift melter gun. And he uses that gun to melt the cell. And then he betrays the guy who he promised to help escape by knocking him out. And then his plan is to go to Stark Industries and steal some of those cool, really tiny transistors that Stark sells for the iPhones and use that to make an even better melter weapon. So when he's going over there to do that, it just so happens to be about the same time that Tony Stark has decided to check out his new factory and suit up his Iron Man and do, you know, uh, check weaponry and devices and stuff. So the two of them meet and they start fighting and the melter gets the upper hand because unbeknownst to Tony, he also has meltery things in his helmet now. So he surprise hits Tony and his armor starts melting and then he shoots like a girder above Tony or Iron Man's head and Iron Man has to barely escape. And he basically and then at one point, like the melter puts one of the construction guys in danger. So Iron Man has to like sacrifice some more hits while he saves them. So his iron his armor is melting. He's like, I got to get out of here. I got to change to Tony because I can't really fight the melter in an iron outfit. 
So instead, I'm going to confront him as Tony Stark. So he waits in this room for the melter to show up and say, give me those tiny little servo things. And Tony's like, oh, what do I do, though? If I, like, refuse, is he going to kill me? And how do I beat this guy? Next, a golden ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not really the new melter. He's the old melter with a new gun, mm-hmm. I guess. But I feel That's like okay. we're starting, I don't know like, how many a transition melters I need. period for this book. Uh-huh. Because we're getting rid of Senator Byrd. And that, that is the end of yeah, that they, story. We'll talk about that in a second. But getting rid of Cinder Birch. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And seeming to put the final stamp on the whole will they, won't they, Happy Hogan, Pepper Potts thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess they're probably going to go in a direction or at least, you know, abandon certain subplots so they can make new subplots that may or may not go anywhere. But, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think of the Senator Bird thing wrapping up like that? Exactly how I summarized it. It seemed like total weak. Like they just don't know what to do with it. So they're going to just give up on it. Because mm-hmm. he's all like, after consulting with my staff, we decided it's probably better if Iron Man just volunteers his services to us whenever he feels like it. That's way more better. Yeah. It's like, really? Because that is not how you felt at all before. And there have been like a couple of moments just recently that might help to inform that decision. But true. But yeah, he was like so adamant. It would have been nice if. There was a couple thought balloon panels that helped him form that decision. Yeah, they kind of alluded to the fact that, you know. Yeah, because actually what happened is he saw Tony have a heart problem and think, oh, this guy's a hero. But that doesn't change the fact I still need Iron Man's secret identity. That's what he thought. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this seems like it's out of nowhere. But at the same time, I'm like, if you were never going to do anything with it, let's just write it off, I guess. That's fine. Move on. Yeah. And I'm personally torn between reality and storytelling because mm-hmm. one of the things that I've realized, you know, as I've, you know, read more and more stories and seen people's reactions to stories is that people don't necessarily want the random whims of reality to be the motivating factors of stories. Mm-hmm. Because really what happened with bird could easily happen. He's pushing, he's pushing, yes. he's pushing, he's pushing committee decides, never mind. bird's done. You know, and that, and yeah. that happens, and it just dries up and goes away, and it's suddenly no longer a problem. And yay, that worked out. But that doesn't really make for very good dramatic satisfaction, you know? It doesn't. And I also thought it was a cool idea to begin with, and actually pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretty advanced for 1966, 67, because nowadays it's a total trope to have the government try and put their fingers in superhero pie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a given that. That superheroes affect the real world. So we're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with the military and and the Senate and the president and all this. But back then, back in this time, like having this guy go after Tony Stark and Iron Man and like try and get him to by court, like reveal his identity and work for the government and stuff. I was like, wow, I can't believe they're doing this already. Yeah, it's something I would consider like a, to be a bit more of a postmodern thing. You, you would see a yeah, lot more, it seems like more of an 80s plot. Trope. Right. So I was kind of excited by that. And then like it got to a point where it just never – it kept never happening because he kept getting interrupted. And then it finally did happen, but he just had a heart attack. And it's like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. And then, yeah, they just swept it under the rug. So Well, maybe those go together. Oh, well. Maybe the fact that like the story trope is so unusual that it didn't really have yeah. the mindset for the storytelling to support it. They couldn't do as long-lasting a subplot as they needed to to make it – resolve in a good way i guess that would have taken forever probably 
at the beginning, just the, like the court system, just like the courts. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, the Tony's like, "Okay, y'all get big bonuses for building this factory so quickly," and they're like, "Yeah, we do anything for you, Tony. We love you." Uh-huh. I felt it was weird that they're describing because I mean, construction does not move quickly under normal circumstances. You <laughs> yeah. want to make it happen quickly. You motivate your workers. And here it's saying, like, our motivation is altruism. We just love Tony Stark. And Tony's like, okay, yeah. I'm giving you bonuses. And I kind of feel like mm-hmm. it would be the reverse. Like, okay, right. I will pay you all so much money if we can just get this built as soon as humanly possible. And they're like, money? Great. Also, we'll do it for you because you're Tony Stark. We'll enjoy our work. Thank you for paying us. Yeah, it felt like it was they were just trying to tell us that Tony's a good, benevolent billionaire uh-huh. or something. It did seem a little cheeseball, this conversation. And really, we have learned now that there's no such thing as a good, benevolent billionaire. <laughs> well, yeah. Tony's okay. But remember, Stan made this guy to be hated, right? Or wanted to see if he could make a hero that had all the all the characteristics of things that everybody hates mm-hmm. at this particular point in history. So now he's trying to be like, yeah, he is a millionaire and we're all supposed to hate him. But he gives bonuses and all his workers love him. Right. Okay. I guess he's cool. I guess he's cool then. He's the the cool exec with the heart of steel. So Happy has not brought up to Tony that he knows, but they both know that he knows. He's Pete Ross in it. And it's like, I'm just like, you know, that's kind of cool. I like it. I like that they didn't immediately try and squander the potential drama of the situation. You know, they're kind of letting a slow burn on it. I'm down. It'd be nice if they do talk about it at some point, but. Yeah, if they, if they can work their way around to it, that's good. But I, I agree. It's nice that it's, it's not the crux of their relationship. Because, you know, that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. You have a friend mm-hmm. and your friendship kind of happens because of a certain thing. And so that thing, if yeah. you're not careful, that thing becomes all that your friendship is based on. And that's, you know, doesn't make for a long-lasting I friendship. Hope they haven't really had any moments since all that happened though either like happy's been almost not in this book yeah they, so. they could have given us moments because it's been some time since last issue um mm. that, so they're choosing to keep pepper and happy over there and they're being yeah you know, dot 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 happy um and then like if the yeah. <laughs> tony stark throws himself into just all right that's fine if i can't have pepper i'll have every woman i know yeah which I enjoyed. That was a great picture. That was a great pinup. Do you think he still has to say goodbye to the girls at night? That he never gets to spend the night with them? Uh, he does seem to be blowing them off. Like he, this one here wants to see him again. And he's like, no, nah, I got another girl tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's keeping them all at a distance. Because I would find that frustrating. No kidding, It's cool right? to take out a nice, you know, a nice woman. And, and, you know, if you have access to a lot of, a lot of different people who want to spend time with you – Going out with a lot of different people who want to spend time with you can be fun. But if you're doing it for romantic reasons, you want to have some romantic resolution, right? (laughs) Well, if he's got this Iron Man chest that he cannot take off and he wants to keep his secret, then yeah, he is not showing anybody any of this stuff. But we we learned recently that – or at least some people learned recently that he has this chest plate. And we learned that it's not the Iron Man chest plate anymore. It's just an iron chest plate. That's true. And I guess they could – you know, keep their shirts on or something. I don't know. <laughs> and most of the costumes stayed on. Is this Batman line? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I never really was into Tony being so obsessed about Pepper in the first place. He seemed like, I mean, I'm fine with him liking her and stuff, but like, 
he was like super lovesick, and I don't feel like he's that kind of character generally. I can dig that. Maybe. I don't know. So this was kind of like, oh, it's cool. He's being old Playboy Tony again. That was kind of fun. All right. Ready for... Um, we have nothing about the Melter, huh? Yeah, not oh really. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even care. Like, yeah, nothing right. about him. Anything. Yeah, I, I can move <laughs> on. <laughs> if you hadn't said the I Melter, like the I would not of, have noticed we missed him. <laughs> <laughs> I like the strategy of, like, confronting him without his suit. You know, take away the thing that he keeps melting. But outside of that, I don't know what to say. Yeah, we'll, we'll get. Well, I'm sure we'll get more with that next issue. Yeah. Okay, Captain America is called Back from the Dead. And if you wondered who the bad guy was, the mysterious bad guy with the prisoner bubbles that that uh, that set all this up, well, they reveal it awfully quick. It's the Red Skull. Dun, dun, dun. Captain America. Bah. Okay, an agonizing action-packed extravaganza spy smiling Stan Lee. I don't know why I said it like that. And Gregarious Gil Kane, lettered by Sam Rosen. Kibitzed by Irving Forbush, lured to mysterious Seagull Isle by a desperate call from one who claims to be Bucky Barnes, Cap's fighting partner of World War II. The gallant Avenger speeds to the spot only to be challenged by Power Man and the swashbuckling swordsman. However, our shield-slinging Sentinel succeeds in defeating them both, only to come face-to-face with the real master of menace who had planned the entire fatal trap. By the way... This caption made me realize that, yes, I realize that he beat Power Man and Swordman, but all I can remember is the Swordsman fight, which is weird because Power Man is essentially like Superman and Captain America beat him somehow. I don't even know how he did it. Yeah, not either. See, we don't remember. It must have been really quick and easy and Power Man sucks. But okay, let's see. After the obligatory uh, uh, how did I survive, which I guess I should summarize to some extent. So if we remember last time, the last time we saw Red Skull, he had the power of the Cosmic Cube and he squandered it horribly because he's no Doctor Doom. And he fell into the ocean and the cube fell into the ocean and he was wearing like this cool Cosmic Cube armor he created and it weighed him down and he theoretically drowned. And Cap was like, oh, well, nothing I can do about it. But he didn't drown because even though he wasn't holding the cube, it was close enough to where he was still connected to it and it still allowed him to survive. And as the cube slowly got pushed farther and farther away from him under the water, he did manage to swim up before the powers disappeared and save himself. So he's still alive. And now he ha- he remembered there's this place called Seagull Isle, another place Created by Hitler in case Germany won or lost. I can't remember which. Who cares? The point being, there's another freaking German base that was untouched that Red Skull now has access to. And it has bubbles. Anyway, Cap's stuck in a bubble. But then he puts Cap down into like this arena and pops the bubble. And then he unleashes this giant purple whirly robot and tells him to fight the robot Cap beats the robot, and then Red Skull's upset that he fought the robot. So then he shoots a missile, and the missile swirls around, and Cap's like, dude, can we just do something more interesting? This is like, ugh. Can you just get to whatever it is you're really going to do? He's like, okay, you're right. This is just a waste of time. Let me show you. He opens the door, and Bucky comes out. And he's like, it is me. I'm a little older, and I'm a little stronger and a little taller, but that's just because I aged. But I'm totally Bucky. And Red Skull has convinced me that you were envious of me the whole time. You were never my friend. You were never my partner. You were never my mentor. You were just a big jerky guy who used me. And now I'm going to fight you. 
And at first, Bucky's kicking his butt because Cap just can't even bring himself to like defend himself or he's too shocked. So he's just standing there getting punched and punched and punched. And finally, he's like, okay, you know what? You want to be Red Skull's killer? Come at me, punk. And then Bucky like swings at him and he catches his fist and he crushes on it really hard. And then he punches him so hard that the Bucky robot breaks. And He's like, yep, I knew it. The Red Skull's like, ah, well, fine. Now that I've had my fun with you, I'm going to pull this lever and all the walls are going to crush you to death. And next issue, Captain America, traitor. So for what it's worth, I had predicted before reading this, and I think you sounded like you had predicted too, that this is Red Skull. I think I just remembered. I don't know if I can claim prediction, but I just remembered. I also may have just remembered, but it's been, I've only read this part like once or twice maybe in my life. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's hard to say what to say about it other than the Red Skull's back, which is kind of cool. And um, it's like, again, the first time somebody's used Bucky against him in a horrible way. It's the Red Skull not being drawn by Jack Kirby, which kind of blows my mind. Oh, yeah. It's Gil Kane who's a little sloppy in this, I think. Oh, you thought so? I I, I was was kind of digging on him. It is okay. I think he does better work, but it was cool. Now, good enough. Does he have like a suspense run or a Captain America run? Because I felt like it sounded like last time that you were like, oh, Gil Kane on Captain America. Like that was a thing. Mm, I don't think it's a thing. I just think I know Gil Kane. So it was kind of cool that he's doing this. But I don't think he has a long okay. run that I can think of. Okay. But maybe I'm wrong. Who am I thinking of? Yes. Is it Gil Kane or is it Gene Colan who does early Cap stuff? I don't remember. Somebody makes it look. Somebody makes it look like kind of dark and mysterious. And shoot, if I can remember now, I always kind of mix them up. Bad, sadly, which is weird because they're nothing alike. But <laughs> well, I, I've uh, read through all of this Captain yeah. America stuff once. Whenever um, yeah. I was toying with the idea with somebody with with doing a Captain America podcast, and um, I don't really remember well, you, a lot of the. You details. did do a Captain America podcast. Yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> There was gonna there, there was there was gonna be more. Um, oh right, right. I think I remember yeah, who it's it Gene was. Cole, I remember who the, what the idea was, but I don't want to sound like I'm throwing anybody under the bus when I'm not actually meaning to be doing that. So I'm just gonna leave it all vague and keep on going. Around the one teens, Gene Colan has a little chunk of a run that's really good. So it's not Gil. Kane. Okay, okay. So yeah, I don't think Gil Kane does any cap stuff. Really. He's the Green Lantern guy. Yeah, in Spider Man, I think of him as a Spider Man guy, but right now he's definitely a Green Lantern. Oh guy. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the little the ideas of like them making Bucky the Bucky robot like older and taller to try and trick him into thinking this could be Bucky. Uh-huh. You know, like they didn't have to do that. It could have been a little eight year old Bucky coming out and punching him and stuff. Well, it also kind of made me think about like my usual my usual mental headcanon about why Bucky always looks so young is because they just that's just how they always drew teenagers. And uh-huh. then later it's kind of retconned that Bucky was actually in his early 20s during this time, just being drawn to look young. Yeah. But this yeah. really does kind of put the lie to that, that he, in this, in this, you know, reanimated Bucky, he has, you know, stepped past most of adolescence into early adulthood. Yeah, he had growing to do, which means when he was fighting with Cap in World War II, he was not fully grown. Right. So that's awfully young. But they do that with all, they do that with Bucky and Robin and everybody, all the sidekicks you can't really with a straight face write an eight-year-old fighting crime right mm. it's just this is not gonna work that we have to fix this 
And uh, I mean, at this point, but Cap should have just taken aged up yet. The Teen Titans were just getting underway. That's true. He was no longer the Boyne Wonder; he was the Teen Wonder, but he looked the exact same. True. All Cap has to do is look at this guy and say, "Um, your legs are blue. You're not the real Bucky. <laughs> you messed up the costume. Yeah, it's not real. You're not my mom." What did he say? Like, I can't remember if he if something about it. Almost worth well. Oh yeah, you made one mistake. You overdid it. And then I was like, "What's the mistake?" That was the mistake. He overdid it. I wanted to know, like, if there was an actual mistake. It would have been cool if he, if there was a mistake, but there wasn't. So he just figured it out, I guess. I realized it couldn't be the real Bucky Barnes. It looks like I was right, but it doesn't say exactly why. Right. You overdid it. I realized at the end it couldn't be him. Okay. I guess maybe overdid just like Bucky's going over the top because he does kind of go over the top there, saying things that Bucky Barnes yeah. would likely never say. Yeah. 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 But it's all right. Captain America's back. I'm sorry. Red Skull is back. Captain America's been back. Red Skull's back. And Red Skull's yeah. not done. We've got more. I mean, this story's not ended. So more going on next issue. Captain America Traitor sounds interesting. Yeah, I kind of feel like Silver Age Red Skull is a big failure so far. But we'll see. Like, uh, I guess he had the sleepers. That was okay. But he wasn't really in that. That was just his Yeah, legacy. the sleepers wasn't really all that great. <laughs> and it wasn't really all that great either. You're right. So like, like Bucky. And he had, this, he had infinite power and then did nothing with it. And Like yeah. Bucky, he still has some growing to do. Doctor Doom is still winning. Strange Tales 156. Um, no. Yep. 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 Um, now, I've read this S.H.I.E.L.D. chapter quite a number of times. Okay. So you saw this coming. Well, yeah, it does. I realized as I was reading this that this is the one where the big reveal happens at the end. And so that has like informed all of my other S.H.I.E.L.D. reading because – out of uh-huh. the context of Shield, I've read this issue probably ten times. Why? Spider-Man's in it. Oh, and you had to panel. cover, but I, yeah, every freaking Marvel Universe hero. Yes. Is in this. So if you're going to do an appearance list read through, you have to at least look in this to see how involved they are and choose whether or not to read it. So yeah, I've read yeah. this a number of times, which includes the ending, and so I think. I think the first time I did an actual S.H.I.E.L.D. read-through and we got to Supreme Hydra, I was surprised that it wasn't this. That it was, you know, Bob Brown or whatever it was. Uh-huh. And um, then whenever we were going into it with this podcast, when we got to the second Supreme Hydra, I wanted to make sure that it was, in fact, this. So I did, I did some looking behind the scenes. But I've been mm. expecting this reveal the entire time we've been on this particular version of the Serbia Hydra. So, like, I've known this was coming the entire time. Okay. Anyways, what Cheater. is the this? What have I known? Well, if you look at the episode title, oh, I, I'm not going to put. Doctor Strange is the Supreme Hydra? Say what? Doctor Strange is the Supreme exactly. Hydra? No, I, 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 I decided time? the episode title for this, but it does not have the name of the Supreme Hydra in the episode title, so never mind. Um, okay. Nick Fury. Confined to quarters, under armed guard, the Supreme Hydra, disguised as Agent Bronson, about to escape from the helicarrier with the critically ill Laura Brown, who does not appear in this story. Pretty much. Maybe she has like a really minor appearance, but she's basically not there. She's unconscious. All yeah. this and Jasper Sitwell, too? You better believe it, Tiger. Now read on. <laughs> that's an order. And as if you weren't already getting your 12 cents worth, we're tossing in a premiere showing of the dynamic dinosaur. No, 
There's nothing Saurian about this. It's just a really cool flying vehicle. And Dyna is in dynamic and soar as in it soars. And yeah, puns. Which is merely Tony Stark's latest contribution to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s awesome airborne arsenal. Featuring Hydra Unmasked, edited by Stan Lee behind locked doors, written and illustrated by Jim Steranko under top security. Lettered by Sam Rosen in front of the TV. So, this is Steranko's baby now. This book is fully his going forward. Yeah. All right. So, um, S.H.I.E.L.D. sees off Bronson, makes sure they understands all of the um, aspects of the plot that are going on. Um, they fly away, and uh, Bronson's like, yeah, Fury's been confined to quarters for bungling the Q-rate test and allowing Artifact to be destroyed. I was chosen to fly the injured girl to safety, which puts them right into my hands. I knew they would do that, and so my vengeance will soon be complete. So he is flying to a planned destination. Um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. doctors put their last stamps of uh, uncertainty on Laura Brown before they send her off in the uh, ship. Meanwhile, the completely unhypnotized and completely not even talking about it, other three S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, um, Sitwell, Dugan, and Jones, um, are talking about um, different cool gadgets they might want to use at some point in the story, such as um, uh, spy ray lens, which is basically x-ray vision, and um, an incendiary disc, which causes fatoons, and um, a time, uh, not a time, but a capsule that lets you turn transparent for exactly 60 seconds. And these might be these might be mm-hmm. handy. Um, but meanwhile, mm-hmm. the uh, Laura Brown is being bundled up into the dinosaur and it's like an oxy bubble. And that might be the last time we see her. The shield agents say goodbye to the ship, and then suddenly, as the silent agents hear they're near their destination, which is where they oh yeah, they're going to go see Fury because Fury's confined to quarters. As they approach Fury's quarters, they explode. Fury's quarters blow up. Fury is dead once again, and Dum Dum Dugan is mourning Nick Fury's death once again. I think this is the fifth time. <laughs> Immediately, yeah. Poor Dugan. His mustaches are going to be very, very sad all the time. We go to Hydra Island, where um, Bronson has, I think, knocked out his autopilot that Shield Shield assigned to him. Or maybe he, like, specifically brought in an autopilot that was Hydra. I don't know. Anyways, he's flying into Hydra Island. Uh, His master plan has worked to perfection. And um, they're going to use Laura Brown, who's actually under the influence of a death sleep. They're going to give her the antidote and put her on trial for betraying Hydra. Um, Then Nick Fury jumps out of the dinosaur and starts clunking Hydra heads together. Agent Bronson has already moved uh, moved away and doesn't realize this is going on. He's all like, all right, it's time. All of my plans have worked out. I'm ready to drop the charade. 30 minutes ago, Nick Fury's died, and I'm ready to, to beat the leaderless shield and take over the world. Hail Hydra! And he sends out a communication to the entire planet that they're going to hold Laura Brown on trial as representative of humanity. And if they find her guilty of pissing off Hydra, then he's going to send a virus 
a sort of coronavirus out into the world. It's going to be 19... No, no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, you know, he, he's going to send a plague to the world. When I was sitting here reading this going, really? Is that where the Rona came from? But that's a whole other joke for another time. Um, and the Fantastic Four hear his words. And Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Thor hanging out hearing his words. The Avengers, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye are hanging his words. The X-Men hear him. The other Avengers, Goliath, Blah, Wasp, um, Iron Man, and the Hulk, um, here that he's going to kill everyone on the earth with the death spore. Hail Hydra, he gets off of Skype and he goes and puts on his epiderm mask, which is going to melt away his face and give him back his proper face. Meanwhile, Nick Fury is scooching along through Hydra Island, trying to figure out where's Bronson? Where's the head cheese? Where's Laura Brown? Gotta save her. Gotta beat the bad guy. Gonna beat up these Hydragoons. Gonna beat up those Hydragoons. Gonna use my, um, my googly goggles to uh, figure out where the Supreme Hydra is. I can see him through that wall. He's taking off the epiderm mask. He has a new face. But what is that face? Blam! He gets shot in the back. And Supreme Hydra turns around and says, Oh my gosh, Fury's here? I thought he was dead. But it doesn't matter. We're going to take him before the tribunal along with the traitorous female. This makes the victory all the sweeter. Hail Hydra! And minutes later, Nick Fury awakens. He is strapped to a bed. There's a hood over his head. And he opens his eyes to see Baron Strucker. 24 years have passed since he fought the commander of the Nazi Blitzkrieg Squadron. And um, he, Strucker, is ready to declare, is this man guilty or innocent? And hundreds of Hydra hooligans surrounding the room shout in unison, he is guilty. Then I sentence the prisoner to death by alpha particle exposure. And I further decree that his body be used as a model for an army of Hydra androids with which we shall police the earth. That shall be the supreme irony. Hydra will rule the world. And I am Hydra. Hail Hydra. Next, showdown. You know, we've kind of joked sometimes that artists fumble the big reveal, but... Steranko don't fumble no reveal. No, man. it is a it is it is <laughs> this is the most epic reveal we've ever had. It's a turn the page two page spread of the reveal uh, of Baron Strucker. And it's yep. fan freaking tastic. It's amazing. And okay, so I'm not gonna claim that I guessed this because I didn't. I don't even think I considered it, which is really weird, because why wouldn't you? But as soon as I saw it, it was also like, oh, yeah, of course. of course. Of course. Right? Has to be. But, yeah, I never – I don't think I thought of that as a possibility at all. Well, what I have never experienced before is the whole connection of Baron Strucker's narrative thread. So there was one. Well, starting with Sergeant Fury. No, okay. Uh, get- but was there any – was there any hints in this that we could have got? Who it was. Well, they do have a little recap of of uh, clues, which actually okay. makes this makes me love this chapter more because 
they are like, these yes. are the clues we dropped. Now, maybe they were too subtle. Maybe yes. you could have actually picked up on them. But they tell how and why Sergeant Fury was suspicious of Bronson. I love that, too. Right down to the panel. They don't usually give you a caption of, and tell right. you the panel. Right. I mean, that is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Baron Strucker, Blitzkrieg squad guy, fights Fury, um, is made to do stuff for Hitler he didn't want to do, but still hates Fury and wants revenge for all the times that he's beaten him. Uh, he's basically dismissed from Hitler's service, and he leaves swearing, I will get even with Fury if it's the last thing I do. He might have even said if it takes 20 years. Wow. I think in the Sergeant Fury issue, I think he said that. And I knew when we read his last story over there that this was the next thing they were going to do with him. So hopefully back in this time, readers of this story of this series were also reading Sergeant Fury. <gasps> well, remember whenever um whenever they did the whole Zemo and like Zemo's appearing in Sergeant Fury and in the Avengers. It's like, you know. Uh-huh. No, no, no. This is this the work. story that yeah. that was pretending to be. Right. Yeah, it's really cool. This whole story was pretty great. I liked that the ridiculous cliffhanger from last issue of them confining Fury to quarters for no friggin' reason turned out to be a ploy. Yep, and it tricked us both because we were both bitching yeah, about Yeah, but it was actually so. a plan. Fury and the president hatched it to give Bronson mm-hmm. enough cord to hang himself with. Or to hang mm-hmm. his monocle with. I don't know what you want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm getting to where, like, it seems like every issue they're throwing new vehicles mm-hmm. at us. And it's like, none of these are going to resonate if you don't continue right. to use them. You know? Like, oh, you guys should be really excited about the dinosaur that you're never going to see again. It's it's a mode of storytelling that Kirby is going to continue to use in the 70s. Because if mm-hmm. you read um, New Gods... And the fourth world stuff Mm -hmm. and the Eternals stuff. There's a lot of one-off bad guys that get thrown out and then never used again. But since other people Mm -hmm. have revived those concepts, they've gone back to those characters and used them again. Hmm. Um, But Fury, he does it in, um, in Cap too. I feel like he just like throws ideas on the panel and sometimes things stick and resonate with other people. Yeah. Well, it's also just a thing with this spy business in general is like they like to have their gadgets and their vehicles. Yeah. So they're they're not making any that are becoming iconic that we remember. Oh, a Quinjet, mm-hmm. you know, like they don't have that. And yet. there's nothing about the dinosaur that's memorable. It doesn't have a memorable design. It doesn't have any special abilities. It just has a silly name. No. And it was invented by Tony, Tony Stark. Stark. Okay. But that means also that the helicarrier is now a spacefaring vehicle, which I think is kind of new. Because before I felt like it just floated around in the atmosphere. I thought it was still floating in the atmosphere. Is it in space? Well, the first page, Earth is in the window, isn't it? Or is that the moon? I'm just going back. It's Earth. It is Earth. Because it's like, you need to take this down to Earth because we need to get her a doctor. And they're like floating in space on page four. Weird. So it's like a space That's I don't, yeah, I disagree with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. I don't know why they had to do that either. Like they could have still been in the atmosphere and she needed a doctor across the country or something. So I don't know. Well, especially the way it's, it's um, depicted as working is that it's, it's being held up by rotary blades. 
Right. That's true. It should be in the atmosphere. Maybe maybe the pictures of it being so high above the planet are actually just really poor science understanding and artist interpretation. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I thought they said the word Earth somewhere, but I could There's a bit on page four where remember. they're like, you know, above the curvature of the Earth saying they need to go to a lower altitude in case they have to dock for repairs. Uh. Um, okay. I like the idea of it floating around in the upper atmosphere, but it can't, I, don't, I don't like the idea of it going into space. Because that distance on page one is significant. Crazy. That's like, yeah, they're on Saturday. Yeah, they're, well, they're no longer in anyway. orbit, that's for sure. Um, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I get that this guy is good at, at being a spy, but it's like, God, they're giving him this new dinosaur and having him take this really important precious cargo that's already been tried to be kidnapped multiple times and it's just him alone and they trust him that much the spy business they kind of suck but then nick fury was in the back seat the whole time and didn't trust him at all so it's like okay right. cool right that's that's cool so just just for grins um to recap what it was that fury didn't like he says something turned me on to bronson a while back must have been a, a kind of sixth sense he slipped up by calling the dreadnought by name in strange tales 154 and he says he just started suspecting him in Strange Tales 153. Um, and Did you look up 153? Because he doesn't specify what. No, exactly. I didn't. But you know what? Let, let's, let's do that. What was it? So tell me what number. Page, yeah, page 11? 11 of 153. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then what panel? Uh, two. Oh, that's where he single-handedly took down a Hydra tank. Oh, so that was like at the very beginning and of while Nick Because that's the first thing Bronson did. While Nick... Yeah, well, Nick and Fury watch. He just like, hey, look at that. It's one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. boys. I I don't care if he said a carrier pigeon. Watch that son of a gun go. So maybe right there he's thinking, how does this guy so easily? So I read that as him being down. genuinely impressed, but he's not impressed. He's suspicious. He's like, wait a second. What's up with this guy? Maybe I should get him closer so I can keep an eye on him. Is possibly what he was mm-hmm. thinking at the time. Apparently, yeah. Because... Because from that cool. point forward, that's where he starts keeping Bronson close and giving him important jobs mm-hmm. and making him a regular part of the book. That's right. That's how Bronson earned his way into the ranks, really. Huh. They're sneakier than I gave them credit for. Yeah. What's uh, what's uh, funny is I like- that in that same panel, I just, I just found it, page 11, panel 2, mm-hmm. he says, um, you ain't exactly a babe in arms. Were you in on that free-for-all? He says, as a matter of fact, I, too, was in a commando squadron. I had a hunch you might have been. When I read that, I was like, ha, 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 Michael doesn't know that he's referring to the Blitzkrieg squadron here. Ah, yeah. And, um, I wasn't. And yeah. So what's page 154, page 12? Uh... Well, probably just where he says the oh, thing. Oh, yeah. I just, I just wanted to refer to the thing as the thing. the actual thing in front I of me. I don't know. It's going down to page 12. That's where he actually he fights the Dreadnoughts, that, that, that issue. And before he tells mm-hmm. anything, anybody about it, um, Bronson does come up and says that Laura has seemed to have vanished, sir, while you were fighting the Dreadnought. And nobody knew that he was fighting okay. the Dreadnought because it had just happened on the previous page. Ooh, that's awesome. Yup. Okay. I like his announcement on Earth that, that Hydra's going to take it over. That was really cool. Um, even though that means I have to tag this issue with so many characters. But that's fine. Whatever. It doesn't <laughs> matter. I love that everybody's face looks like concerned, except the Hulk just has two fists and he's growling and looking up like Hulk smash stupid space right. voice. 
I don't know. That was funny to fun. me. It's cute. But then it begs the question, like, are the people in the panels actually physically in proximity whenever this is happening? They cannot be, right? It seems unlikely that Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Thor would be hanging out unless this was a really weird issue of Marvel Team-Up. The closest we could get is Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man's audition with the Avengers. Wasn't Daredevil in that issue Daredevil or was no? in that issue, but he was not in the scene with Spider-Man and Thor, but it's the closest they would be. No, he... That's right. So it's super close, but no cigar. And Hulk and Iron Man and Goliath and Wasp, no. no There's way. no way. I feel like he, what he should have done is just made a bunch of floating heads all reacting right. how they would react wherever they were. But he didn't do that. And that's okay. Whatever. I didn't take it literally. Well, this is um, – since our tops and bottoms is enjoyment factor, this is uh, a contender for top for me for the month. Yeah. They might actually win. Pretty good. And then Umar walked the earth. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, okay. Go ahead. Speaking of really nonsensical cliffhangers that end up having a purpose, explained in the next issue. Um, uh-huh. The ancient. Okay, so introducing Zom. Brand ye these necromantic names upon thy brain, O true believer, for they have truly created in thine own behalf enchantment without end. Stanley and Marie Severn. Led by Artie Simic. I don't know. So the Ancient One has not just removed Doctor Strange from this universe to some pocket dimension to keep him safe. He has sent him to the dimension of Zom. And while he and Doctor Strange are working out the details of this, Umar penetrates the barrier and appears on Earth. And she's walking around destroying people left and right. They annoy her, she destroys them. Um, Doctor Strange is in the land of Zom, who lives in a jar, like a genie. Um, Doctor Strange does some magic, which sets him free, and basically Zom is a monster who is more powerful than Dormammu or Umar. Meanwhile, Umar is looking for Doctor Strange to get her revenge and to destroy him and show how awesome she is. She finds his house, and Wong inside is like, I'm going to keep this house safe from her. And then she totally destroys the house. Uh, the story kind of implies that she destroys Wong as well, but of course we know that's not the case. Um, she does not find Doctor Strange there, so she realizes that she needs to go find the Ancient One, because then she can destroy the Ancient One, because he actually beat um, Dormammu way back in the day. Then once she beats the Ancient One, then she can beat uh, um, Doctor Strange. So she starts giving the planet indigestion, causing earthquakes, causing uh, lava eruptions, to draw the attention of the Ancient One. Meanwhile, in the other mystical dimension... Uh, Doctor Strange is doing the uh, mystical Sidorak Crimson Crystals magic to hatch Zom out of the uh, jar. Zom is wearing bands of blindness. He's a big, ugly duder with this like weird goth choker around his eyes. Um, and Doctor Strange is like, okay, I'll break this off. Um, but you've got to do anything I say because I've got to go to my power. And Zom's like, I don't got to do what you say. And Dr. Strange's like, actually, you kind of got to do. Um, but just in case you don't, I'm just going to run back to my dimension and you just follow me. Okay. 
So while they're doing that, we go and see that Umar has drawn the Ancient One into battle at Stonehenge. Doctor Strange brings Zom to Stonehenge. Umar looks at Zom as like, um, this guy is more powerful than I am, and I don't want to fight a fight that I can't win. So I'm just going to skadoosh back to the Dark Dimension, because it seems like that's the best place for me to be right now. And, uh, yeah, catch you cats later. So she disappears, and Zom's like, alright, um, I guess I'll fight y'all then! And he's going to attack Doctor Strange and the Ancient One. Next issue, the end of the Ancient One. I liked the story. I did too. Uh, I thought it was too fast, though, and I'm baffled that we had to suffer those other two or three before this. It made no sense to bother with those. Like, like we could have. What's great about this? Like, what's great about this is Uma comes out and she's just Umar comes out and she's just like amazing and super powerful and a threat to the mm-hmm. world, to Earth, humanity. Whereas the last three issues, she was just like kind of scheming and annoying. And I'm going to steal Clea just to piss off the guy who killed my brother. And I'm going to lie and try and pretend I'm a good guy. And all it's like, why even do all that when you're this right. awesome? Like, just and come she out walks and fight through the city as her badass evil self and just mm-hmm. like, you know, kills people, just destroys them, destroys chunks of humanity because they annoy her. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, yeah, they could have compressed and, you know, gotten rid of a lot of what they did in the last couple of issues, gotten to mm-hmm. hear more quickly and spread this out more. Yeah, she could have. they could have done the recap of Dormammu because they had to do that. And then she could have been the end of that issue. The next issue could have been her and Doc Strange fighting and he just having no hope of beating her, almost dying until the Ancient One, like, sends him off. And then the Ancient One spends this issue trying his best to keep her from killing the Mm -hmm. entire world while he tries to release this big giant cork Wookiee thing. And then, yeah. And then next issue is dealing with the cork Wookiee thing. He does look like a Wookiee with quark's head. He does. Big old ears. Um, That would have been cool. But instead, all that Clea stuff didn't further Clea's character at all and was just kind of boring. And it made Umar seem kind of like weak compared to her brother. But this story, she seems yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, fulfilling the threat that Dormammu like only threatened to do. All right. Um. So, did we know that the Ancient One had actually beaten Dormammu before? Um, Whenever we were talking about like the Ancient One's past and stuff, did we get Dormammu connections? I feel like there was that conversation, but I can't remember specifically if that was something that okay. was said. Like, he knew about mm-hmm. Dormammu, but he also knows about everything. Yeah, he's been around a while. Okay. I don't remember, to be honest. But that's pretty cool, I guess, that he did. I'm imagining that this is happening on the same day as Strucker's threat. <laughs> so he's like... So they all pause to listen to the Oh, no, announcement. the announcement happens first. We find Laura Brown guilty. We'll send a plague to destroy humanity. And everyone's all like, oh, no. And then, like, the electricity and communication start going out. Because uh-huh. Umar's disrupting the electricity of the world. It's just a bad day for everyone today. Uh, it's like, oh no, Hydra sent Umar. Yeah. <laughs> she is the death spore. Yep. Yes, yes. Um, I did wonder how ancient the Ancient One is. Whenever they were talking about he battled Dormammu at Stonehenge in the distant past. Oh, Gosh, that's a pretty yeah. old. So I looked it up. Well, it doesn't have to be 
active Stonehenge. 1430s is when he was born. Was when was Mm -hmm. when he was born? Okay. And uh, he is actively looking for a replacement. He is ready to die. So Baron Mordo and Doctor Strange, each of those is intended to be a replacement for him as the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm -hmm. I I don't know why, but sometimes I notice and sometimes I don't. In this story, I really noticed how Doctor Strange continues to talk like some otherworldly being, which kind of bothers me still. Like the dude was born in New York, Mm -hmm. something like that. Why does he talk like he's an Asgardian? Good question. I really wish he would just talk normal. Like he calls uh, Tony Stark a d bag in the movies. That's funny, yeah. but but in here it's like it's like come on, Doctor Strange. We know you're from Brooklyn or something, or I don't even know where he's supposed to be from. Maybe he was born in Oklahoma, for all I know. But it's just weird. He's a human. He's a person. He's not an ancient either. So what else we got on this one? I don't know. I think that we might have petered out this episode. Okay. Okay. It was still it was good, but I just don't know what to say about it. I guess. It was good for Doctor Strange. Let's put it that way. It was definitely good for Doctor Strange. It is not automatically a contender for worst issue. Or No, Doctor Strange might be safe safe. this month. Um, So I guess I should say what we're going to cover next time because this has been a nice, thick episode. And uh, we should definitely start wrapping it up. So next week, if Uh you are wanting to read your homework, uh, Tales to Astonish 91, Fantastic Four 62, the Avengers 39 and Daredevil 27. So read those for next time. And where can they find us? You can find us at makearsmarvel.com. You'll find links to all your favorite Android, iPhone, whatever the heck stuff you use to listen to apps or just an RSS feed if you want to plug it into your more obscure app that we've never heard of. Uh, also, the shows are right there on the, ep- on the website if you want to just play them there. But who the heck does that? Also on the site, you can find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find a contact form where you can write us or contact directly, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. All right. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I have other podcasts to do, but I'm not going to talk about them because I really have to go pee. So unless there's anything else, <laughs> until next time or until Umar is deposed from the rulership of the Dark Dimension by Clea. Make ours marvel.